Welcome to Regenerative Spaces, a podcast that explores holistic and sustainable paths toward thriving in the fields of agriculture, education, spirituality, and beyond. I'm your host, Stacy Police. I'm a regenerative farmer in Santa Barbara, California, with a background of three plus decades as a psychologist, environmental activist, author, and educator. Each week on this show, I get to chat with one of the essential teachers who has informed my own path and whose regenerative wisdom I want to share with you too. I've been really looking forward to today's show, our last of the season, and I'm thrilled for you to meet our guest, Minka Robinson-Stevens. I've learned so much from her, and I know you will too. Minka is a holistic health expert specializing in East Asian medicine and Chinese medical dermatology. She attended Yosan University, one of the nation's leading Chinese medical graduate programs, and graduated with her Master's of Acupuncture and Traditional Chinese Medicine. She practices with a robust toolkit from acupuncture and herbalism to nutrition and bodywork, and is a third-generation plant wisdom specialist. She's the owner of Points of Health Acupuncture, an herbal medicine clinic in Santa Barbara, which is one of the nation's few clinics with an integrated herb pharmacy. So here we are, ready to explore how to find that sweet harmony between our inner and outer worlds. Let's jump right in and get this conversation rolling. Good morning, Minka. How are you today? I'm good. Good morning, Stacy. I'm really happy to see your face. I'm so excited. Let's start out by talking about, I know you a couple different ways, but I would say I first met you because you're the daughter-in-law of the man, the craftsman who built our barn house at the ranch. And then we met again at a Tai Chi and martial arts class at the ranch with our mutual teacher, Master Zhou. And then you, I found out that you were an acupuncturist Chinese doctor that specializes in skin disorders, dermatology, and I get psoriasis and we started that journey and it just continues. So I just kind of wanted to give the listeners a little context for how we know each other. But what I want to start with is I want to hear your journey to Chinese medicine. And also, how do you call it? I'm a, I'm a big one to ask multiple questions in one, but I want to know how, what your journey was and then what do you call it? Or can you call it a lot of things? I mean, you can call it a lot of things. And honestly, it's a good question because I used to call it traditional Chinese medicine. Mm-hmm. And now I call it East Asian medicine um, because what we do encompasses more than specifically Chinese medicine sometimes, although I would say the root of the work that I do, especially in herbal medicine, is very much Chinese medicine, traditional Chinese medicine. So I refer to them both ways, sometimes traditional Chinese medicine and then sometimes East Asian medicine. Okay. And I came to it, I am not exactly sure. It's a little bit hazy. (laughs) Uh, And I think that's sometimes how it goes when you have something that a little fire that gets in your heart about something. 
and you don't know how it got there, but then it did and there was no turning back. So that's kind of how it was for me. But basically there's a lot of things that went into it. And I grew up in Santa Barbara with a background very much in living in a more wild landscape, very close to nature and spent a lot of time outside. And my grandmother taught edible and medicinal native plants here in Southern California for 35 years. And she was a botanist and my mother and is a gardener and she's a landscape contractor and a florist. And so I grew up very much in the garden with her working on different projects, working at home. We always had an organic garden. And then also with my grandmother and my aunt Rima specifically used to take me hiking a lot, foraging and identifying plants and herbs out in nature. And so I continue that really my whole life. It's always been part of uh, my experience in daily life. And so I, I'm not sure exactly what it was about Chinese medicine, but I had a, a friend who started to study it. So I was aware that it existed and I had a health issue of my own come up when I was in my late teens and I sought out holistic care for it. And I ended up seeing an acupuncturist who then became my mentor. And it was just such an incredible experience because to heal in a holistic way. And to it was like everything I learned about East Asian medicine or Chinese medicine, it made sense to me. Mm-hmm. It was like I had heard it before or knew it in some way. And there was just so much resonance there. And ultimately, my mentor said, hey, you know, you're meant to do this because I was dragging my feet trying to decide, am I going to study nutrition? Am I going to go to Bastyr? Am I going to study Western herbal medicine? I had been studying earth science and permaculture and gardening practices for a long time. So I was trying to decide how I was going to go. And then he said, you know, cut it out. You know, you're meant to do this go ahead, get your license and then do whatever you want after that. But get your license so that you can practice this medicine and be a part of it. I love that when, in a way it, it chooses you and it's yours to say yes or no. Yeah. And then I started at the school here in Santa Barbara, there was a school and then it closed down, but it was long enough that I was completely hooked and there was no turning back. Okay. I know you know what that's like. <laughs> yes, I do know what that's like. So you got a bone and you just can't let it go. Yeah. 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 Well, so can you explain what the um, different areas practices are within traditional Chinese medicine, East Asian medicine? What are the classic practices or what do you learn? How many different things? Yeah, well, there's five main branches of the medicine when you go to school. Um, And there's most people are the in the West are the most familiar with acupuncture. And we tend to think that's what Chinese medicine is, but it's really Mm -hmm. only one part. Um, There's acupuncture, there's herbal medicine, there's nutrition, there's massage kind of body work that's often referred to as tui na, and there's qi cultivation, qigong, tai chi, 
martial arts fall into that category. And they're all meant to be used essentially together to maintain health and wellness. And as a practitioner, you may employ different strategies based on what you think is going to help that patient at the moment to rebalance their system. Yeah, that's so interesting. It's so comprehensive and it's so old. This yes. system. How old is it? I mean, there's, I, I think there's a little discussion about it, but you could say it's, it's definitely older than 3000 years. Um, so, and some would say 4,000, um, but it's not so a long time. A long time. Yeah. When I was doing a little bit of writing recently about yin and yang and the five elements and the system of the elements and the seasons, I mean, even those mentions go back 3,000 years. So, and that's mm-hmm. a specific, a scientific system within the medicine too. That is of particular interest to me right now. It seems to me that all of this is from a Taoist perspective. Is that true? I think so. You know, my work is so practical that there are people in Chinese medicine who are completely devoted to the academic and scholastic side and the preservation of the history and that. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's really complex and really old. And I'm not one of those people because I work so much practically with patients kind of day to day. So my, especially also because I, I've been studying the medicine for 20 years, but I'm very much a baby in that study. You know, my teachers where I went to school, they're 38th generation practitioners. So this, this medicine is a work of a lifetime and many multiple lifetimes. So that the exact details about the history of Chinese medicine is something that isn't mm-hmm. not part of, I don't know all those details, but. Well, I have a taste for esoterica, but <laughs> we don't have to do that here. I'm just trying to think about and share how you understand nature and plants and the human body and the way yeah. we interact and how those might correlate. So if if you could say two things about that. That is such a good point. And it brings us back to the five elements and the seasons, because I think that's a really huge part of my practice and what I do do and explore and talk about every single day. There's not a day that goes by that I'm not talking to patients about kind of how to essentially harmonize their inner nature. Mm. And within that system, harmonize themselves with the natural world, basically. Mm -hmm. So with Chinese medicine understands that, uses the metaphors of the five elements to describe the relationships of how energy and blood and body fluid move within the body and how we can see that reflected in nature outside us being natural beings and mm-hmm. of nature and related to it. Mm-hmm. So it uses the five elements, which are wood, fire, earth, metal, and water. We're in fall right now. Yes. And that has a, a dominant element to it. Fall yes. 
is an element. Which one is it? Some people would say because each element, fire is associated with, well, wood is associated with the springtime and birth. Fire Mm -hmm. is associated with the summer and growth. The fall is associated with the lungs and the metal and Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. harvest. And the winter is associated with the water element. Mm -hmm. And then there's the spleen Mm -hmm. or the earth system, which is sometimes referred to as late summer. And then also can be referred to as sort of the transition between all seasons. We think of the earth element as kind of sitting in the middle. So it has this ability to kind of be reflected. It's all about nourishment and nurturing. Mm -hmm. And that can be placed sometimes in the late summer and other times kind of at the end in the transition phases of each season. And so right now we're in one of those transition phases. We're at potentially the end, the late summer, which some people would associate with the earth element and also the beginning with the equinox of the fall. And that's associated with the lungs. Okay. So you see a lot of people in your practice. What are some of the things that you're suggesting right now for practices that are great for the fall just to maintain one's personal well-being and vitality? Well, there is a couple ways to look at it. One thing with the fall that we are kind of aware of, there's a spiritual component, just about when we're thinking of that cycle, like I referred to the birth, the growth, the harvest, mm-hmm. and the rest of the winter time. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're in this energetic phase of the fall, which is kind of the old things falling away and setting the tone, letting go of that last season and kind of harvesting the rewards of that season of growth Mm. and then letting go of the things that aren't serving us any longer so that we can be prepared for a fresh season of growth come spring. And so right now, one of, with the way that we talk about the elements, there's a, a lot of correspondences in traditional Chinese medicine or East Asian medicine. So one of the things that we talk about with the fall is dryness. So, and we can notice that in the air, that kind of crisp nature, Mm -hmm. uh, things drying out. And also we can be aware of the coldness. There's a coolness that's coming in, that heat Mm -hmm. and that activity of summer is falling away for this chance to kind of be drawn in, warm things up a little bit more. And always when we're talking about the seasons and the body and wellness, we're looking at how do we harmonize ourselves and our nature with the season and in the natural world. So if things are getting cooler on the outside, we might want to use herbs or foods or spices to warm us up on the inside to give us some um, balance. Mm-hmm. So that would mean, interesting, because it seems like false spices yes. are kind of warming, right? Cinnamon yeah. and nutmeg yes. and ginger. and Yeah. And even if you look at like the pumpkin spice mm, situation, yeah. <laughs> right. it's a perfect example of kind of earth 
and fall flavors. So we're using those spices to the the flavor of the fall. Each element and season also has a flavor. The flavor is pungency. So, and that's a dispersing quality, which helps to kind of protect us during the cold season from any external invading factors, right? So it kind of pushes the chi out to the surface a little bit to protect us. And so we use the cinnamons, the nutmegs, the the Mm -hmm. ginger kind of helps to harmonize the middle jowl and the earth element and support the digestion. Mm -hmm. And the other thing that we really have to pay attention to is balancing out the dryness. So using foods and herbs and practices that help to nourish the fluids of the body and help to moisten things so that we don't get brittle and dry. Because we can see that in, like we would see that in, I see that in my patients already, right? There is a a scratchy throat or Mm -hmm. there's a dryness in the eyes or the dryness in the skin or, you know, sometimes some skin rashes and things like that, or the hair is thinning or becoming more brittle. And so then we use um, herbs that are deeply nourishing and supplementing to the fluids and even simple foods like pears. It's a perfect season. Pears are a perfect food to strengthen and supplement the lungs and add moisture and to the skin. And they're fruit, aren't they? Yes. I know. See, nature, nature does it figures. for us. <laughs> we don't even have to think about it. It's just so this all is happening. a reason to eat seasonally because I yes. know I've heard that like eat locally, eat seasonally, but I don't know that they ever tell me why. And so yeah. let's say root vegetables come around now, correct? Some yeah. of the dark greens, is that one mm-hmm. of them? Yes. I so, I mean, really Watch. in the in traditional Chinese medicine, there's at this moment around the equinox, there are specific foods that are often consumed. And you would find that throughout Asia and other places of these foods and soups and things that are created and served during this time to really help supplement and support that element within our bodies. So there's okay. things like the one of the most famous soups right now that you might see floating around the internet, which is new to a lot of Western people, but is using that uh, white fungus or that ear fungus, which is that kind of jelly-like mushroom that you soak and create a soup with that and then add the dates into that. Um, And that's really nourishing. It's really rich in collagen and so supports the fluid internally and externally. Will you send the recipe and then we can share it? Yeah. Yeah. Is it tasty? Yeah, it is tasty. It's different, okay, but it's mostly like, and even using pears for a, for a dry cough, for example, it's traditional medicine to steam a pear with a little bit of honey to moisten the throat oh. and moisten the lungs. And oh. so, and you even add that steaming quality in the fall to impart more moisture. Like there are other times of the year that you would, even how you would prepare the food like roasting or frying. But in the fall, we like to warm things up, cook with extra water, like congees, things like that, broths, really bringing Mm. that fluid element into what we're consuming to help support the body 
and then also add that steam. So then would traditional Chinese medicine really, if you were following it, if you knew just a little bit about it personally, you would have some tools. So I'm hearing that self-care and that inner connection is key, which I hold dear and many people do as a first move. But um, what I'm wondering is, does traditional Chinese medicine, is it looking to be proactive or preventative? Is it more reactive or curative? Is it both? And I'm, I guess I'm saying that as opposed to what I would consider Western medicine, allopathic medicine, mm-hmm. not that they're always opposed to one another, they're just different styles. But I'm wondering, yeah. how is that different or is it? I think that's a really good question. And it's both, definitely, um, because it's a whole system. And the beauty of it, though, is that it's not just reactive. Mm. It's not as if, oh, you have high blood pressure, so now here's a medication for that. What we're doing is ideally with the seasonal attunement and our daily practices, our, our qi cultivation practices, which is a branch of the medicine, our nutrition, herbal medicine, acupuncture, all of that is really meant to be preventative. So, and it works the best that way. And then sometimes that doesn't happen, right? Or things get out of balance and there's not, you haven't been practicing Tai Chi every day for 20 years. It's possible. Some Mm -hmm. people, maybe not. (laughs) Um, I certainly haven't been practicing every day for 20 years. We've been practicing, but um, so then you need some more assertive intervention. So we use some acute care practices, and then we use a lot of, I work a lot with preventative medicine and basically how these daily practices can really help support the body in rebalancing itself. Because I believe so much that the the body itself, our natural state, is this state of dynamic balance. And the body is always seeking that balance, no matter what's coming up. And it's our job, if something does come up, to kind of recognize, well, how has a system got out of balance? And usually we say in Chinese medicine that it's the result of impediment to flow or some type of stagnation arises and prevents this state of balance in in the body. And so we kind of seek out, well, where is this stagnation? Where is it coming from? And how do we help support the, the patient and reestablishing that balance for themselves? And so I use a lot of daily practices. I recommend I work a lot with that with my clients and, um, and using those, all those branches of the medicine to do that. Right. So, you know, and our mutual friend, Paul Frazier, really teaches and talks about qi, qigong, yeah. tai chi, martial. And these are all practices that you do and that we do. And yeah. those are the ways that we can maintain our, yeah. our system. And then longevity is another word I hear in that field. I mean, 
I guess you hear it just in general in our culture, but I think the ancient Chinese philosophy longevity was was bottom line kind of practice, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah. That's the origin of the medicine really in Taoism, right? Is to achieve enlightenment and immortality. So mm-hmm. all of these practices are really essentially aimed at that extending our life and our lifespan, but not just that, extending the quality of our life, improving mm-hmm. our our wellness throughout that life. And not just that we can live a long time, but that we can live well and happily right. and in a thriving way. Right. And what I've noticed with really increasing practice in the last four years that I am more sensitive to imbalances so that, mm. you know, rather than think of myself as a hypochondriac, which I could, um, I, I am more sensitive to this feels a little off and then addressing mm. that so yes. before it becomes more. And I think that's one of the benefits I've learned about, about doing chi practices. When you build a nice strong foundation you become more attuned to nature, at least I have, yes. to the nature around me, to the seasons, and to my own fluctuations in myself. Yes. And that's I problem. think that's so true. And there's a couple things I'd say about that is that those um, chi cultivation practices and that quietness, we focus a lot in the West on output, productivity, and success in that in that context and many of us didn't grow up with this understanding of the balance of yin and yang the balance of rest and work the balance of output and nourishment and making sure that we're balancing all that production and all that outward action with practices that will support that And so that qi cultivation practices are so valuable because they support our yin, they support our rest, which actually allows us to do more in the long run because we don't burn out. And then it also helps us to stop when we've done enough, recognize when we need to rest, and then do it, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, those are two parts. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, But so I think that's really valuable. And I also think there's something really special about daily practice. I do, I was just finishing with a lot of my daily practices. And one of the things I do is Abhyanga, which is an Ayurvedic practice, but it's a self-care lymphatic massage. And use a body oil. And I do that every day. And it's this, when you do something every day, you can notice your rubbing your elbow or I sustained a gardening injury over the weekend. (laughs) (laughs) And so I've got a bit of a bum knee at the moment. And, but when I'm doing the massage, I know how to use the gua sha or do the massage to really help support the healing of that joint. Or you can maybe feel something in your skin or your wrist or your hands or your shoulders and go, gosh, that's tighter than I thought it was. And then you can pay attention to it, maybe give a little massage or maybe do a certain kind of practice to help release that tension or 
support those areas that you notice in doing these practices are a little off. So we have natural wisdom such that the energy in the elbow is a little stuck because it sustained an injury. So it's trying to heal, but it gets a little stuck. So you start rubbing it and that increases the chi energy flow there that'll enhance healing. And that's just something that comes from the factory, I like to say. Yeah. We all just kind of have since childhood. Yeah. Interesting. I love that. Yeah. And And it's something that you develop over time as well with practice. And know that you're on the right track. Yeah. Because when you first, if you first start having or giving yourself massage, your skin and muscles just feel like your skin and muscles. But over time, you'll start to feel, oh, this is a little bit more sticky or this is a little bit more tight my skin's a little bit more dry or you start to pay attention and then you might say, oh gosh, maybe I should drink more water or mm-hmm. <laughs> maybe I need to or go to bed earlier and that mm-hmm. will make my tissue more supple, more soft, more forgiving. What it makes me think about is something sometimes will come to me or I'll have a craving for a food or <laughs> it'll, you know, I'll see it, I'll notice it. And it's just the thing I need. And those other kinds of subtleties increase the more I practice. Yes. And then when you pay attention to it, then you're rewarded for it usually because Mm -hmm. you feel better. And these practices are not like some, they're not so esoteric that they, you shouldn't notice them in your life. Right. If you have a craving for something that's right for you and then you eat it, you should feel good immediately not if you don't two years later your information right yeah well it's interesting because i feel my experience of you is that you live a sacred life i mean you have kids you have a family in fact you have a really you know quite an extended family around you you have a whole practice you have all these different aspects And I'm aware that you see it all as sacred and you're always looking at it from this bigger lens. And so that even, this seems very mundane, but your kids, you know, some kids spend all summer in camps and you let your kids just hang out and get bored. (laughs) And that there could be some value to that, that we don't in our culture really notice. And I'm wondering, have you practiced that and seen value in that? Just something practical like that. I think so too. It's so funny that you say that because last night, my daughter who's 10, it's possible that she was trying to um, resist going to bed. Um. (laughs) And she knows me well. So she said, oh, mom, could we just have a cup of tea together? You know, <laughs> And she, it really helps me sleep. And let's just have a cup of tea. So she's got my number, clearly. Yes, tea is my it. thing. Yes. And so we had a cup of peppermint tea. And then she was showing me some drawings that she had done earlier in the day at school. And she was talking about she had this blackness that led into this rainbow. And then she was likening that she's like, yeah, it's kind of like the moon and the sun. And it's kind of like, you know, uh, day and night. And I went, gosh, that's funny, because you're talking about yin and yang. Mm. And so we Mm. had a conversation over some tea 
about yin and yang. And we were talking mm-hmm. about the active time of the day and the restful time at night. And we were talking about the seasons. And it was really interesting because on the one hand, you could think, oh, I'm, I'm teaching her about yin and yang. But really, I feel like my kids and my daughter and son and family and community, you learn so much about nature just by seeing a 10-year-old kind of recognize these concepts and understand them so readily and so easily. Then you can really see this is a, a tenant of how things really are how nature really is and how you said that we're kind of born with this inherent wisdom and understanding it. And I really love that, that Chinese medicine, Asian medicine gives us some language around how to understand that and talk about it and how to use it to empower our own health and wellness and regeneration and then how to couple that with nature and how we engage with nature in that way. And so like, yes, they, I didn't let them, I didn't send them to camp all summer. I let them rest and get bored. And I feel like that's that quality of nourishing the yin, of being quiet sometimes, of balancing the rest with the activity, especially during the summer, which is a very highly active time. It's the most young season of the year. So there's all this stuff happening and in order to be able to sustain that and really enjoy that, you also need to rest. To me, that takes a great deal of self-discipline in our culture. There's so much distraction, and especially mm-hmm. the way we understand education and how our kids succeed. Sometimes when I look back, I reflect, I think sometimes maybe we overdo it, and they need to be learning Mandarin and doing lacrosse. and. Yeah you know, having all these, you know, archery and be on a team sport and, you know, all the things. And Mm -hmm. yet there's some wisdom and beauty in letting them be so that they can notice. How do we notice if we're going all the time? Yeah, I think that's so true. And I think it is, is, it requires a lot of self-discipline for me because I'm a really passionate, excitable person. And I would love for my kids to do lacrosse and Mandarin and (laughs) all the things. And so, but I also understand, I learned so much from working in my garden, from spending time out there. I spend a lot of time in the garden on the weekends. And Mm -hmm. every morning I go out there, I've told you about how we've had these snail pests that that are eating. So I go out in the garden every morning around sunrise and I just collect the snails. And then I also go out at night in the moonlight before I go to bed and pick all the snails so they don't eat all my vegetables. I know there's organic ways to deal with this that are less labor intensive. But at the same point, there's something really balancing about going out there, noticing things, paying attention. This morning I noticed oh, what is this other kind of pest that's happening? Or my seeds uh, for my fennel that are coming up. And you also do the things where you notice the seasons more, that that really vital energy of assertion, of growth, of birth, mm. of mm. extending yourself out into the world like a little tiny radish sprout, you know, mm. opening yourself up to the light and growing through that 
and you have some tending, some mist, some watering, some caretaking, you know, relationship with the people around you. And then it grows up and, and then you can harvest that food at some point and then use the leaves for braised greens and you can blister the radish or you can cook it and you can nourish it. You can give some back to the chickens or the, how all these things work, but being able to be part of that process of witnessing that the energy that's required for growth and also like in the fall, the the restraint and the willingness to let go that's required for transition and that anchoring energy that's required in the root for the winter where we can serve and protect ourselves for our next season of growth, the blossoming that happens in the summer. Um, I learn a lot from that. And that's what helps me feel, I think, exercise discipline in a way or restraint. Maybe restraint is a better word to kind of help protect the chi, the yin, the blood that you have, and make sure that when you're expending it, you're expending it in this way that feels true to who you are, that feels supported in the world, and that feels um, regenerative in your community. Wow, that is beautiful the way you just explained that. And I hear deep relationship and resonance and it it has always been my wish that we taught local flora and fauna and the medicinal as well as the toxic values of plants mm -hmm. um and that just sounds like such a uh, grounded way to live and it's to me, you're an example of someone who does live in that grounded, embodied, and related way of living. And even when you not too long ago, I guess it's going on a year, you moved your offices and you had a question about, you are a rare practitioner who has an entire herb pharmacy, a beautiful herb pharmacy. And you had a question about that. Should I bring the herbs? Or should I just mm -hmm. have an office and say something about that? Maybe how that feels for you. Yeah, that was a tough moment because we had been practicing in that location for a really long time. And we had been in, uh, I knew that we needed to grow. And in the West, we kind of have this idea of like that the season is always growth. There's no other season. Right. Like we need to be growing and moving forward and making more money and expanding all the time. Mm. And we've had exp real experience in life to go, oh no, sometimes we need a contraction. Sometimes we need to come inward. Sometimes we need a wintering. Mm. And I experienced that at, at that time. It was very much a, the, all the ways felt obstructed and what I wanted to do, I, I couldn't realize in that space. And um, I thought, well, maybe I need to just stay where I am and stay smaller. Maybe I need to not have, not do the herbs, but it has been such a huge part of my heart and my passion and my love. There are very few herb pharmacies, uh, that are operational 
raw herb pharmacies um, were one of very, very few uh, in California even. And California has more than most. Um, and so we, so I thought, well, maybe what I need to do is just keep the clinic small and I'll try and move the pharmacy into another location, a more industrial space where it can grow separately. And I realized, like you're saying for myself, that because so important to me and with also the help of our teacher, Master Zhou, he said, oh no, this is what you're meant to do. And these, the herbs, they need to be around you because it inspires you, it's fulfilling for you. And then also just practically as a busy mom and business owner, I don't have time to go, well, let me go to this location for a little bit. And then I'm going to go, I can't go to two offices every day and take care of two kids. Right. I need everything to be as streamlined and easy as possible. So we decided to keep it all in this one spot and we had to move location, move to a totally different part of town. And in the end, it's been just so fulfilling and so wonderful. And we've had that opportunity to grow, but only after a really intense season of contraction, right? A really, uh, a season of restraint. But that's what allowed for this growth because then once we went for it, everything lined up really easily and very naturally. And that's the hard part is when you're in that in-between, that, you know, wintering Mm -hmm. period where you don't have answers, you don't have a clear path, all you have are questions. And if they were so important to you, you, you went in and rested and waited for the, the right answer. And what is interesting is what you're describing about your decision really follows some of the same uh, rules of permaculture, which is where things work together, mm-hmm. as well as a theory of efficiency. You know, the yeah. more steps you have to take, the less likely it is you're going to do them, or the yeah. whole system can't sustain as long if there's not efficiency and flow and connection and relationship with all the parts, which is a more holistic way of living. And I'm just, I I love it when I see patterns and I just see patterns all over the place nowadays with the regenerative and permaculture. And I hear it in the way you operate. That's very true too, because the other thing is that with patients, because this is so new and it's so uncommon, I felt that it was so important not for the herbs to be in the dark warehouse somewhere but for them to be where people could see them, where people could go, oh, what is that? And remember their connection to nature and remember their connection to plants and remember that there's other ways to heal than maybe what we're used to at this moment and mm-hmm. allow an op- opportunity for curiosity. We also were able to find a space that has space for movement where we've practiced Tai Chi together. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, But I will say on that topic, we met right around that time that I had that question. And I was wondering, what am I even doing? Why am I doing this herbal medicine thing? Am I the only one who cares about this? You know, will people even 
take this medicine? Do my patients even want to do it? Is this useful for anybody other than the fact that I love it and I'm passionate about it? Maybe the maybe it's not meant to be, but we met and I found another uh, herbal lover in you. And that's part of the inspiration and what it's so important to recognize the signs when they come to you and say, no, this is important. It's in your heart because it matters. So that's my favorite thing because, and I do remember, I'm glad you brought that up because you had that question and there was a way in which, which all of, I mean, I don't know that everyone does it, but I know it's like, that's, I'm, that's just my weirdness, my passion, my, Mm -hmm. you know, and I can even give it self-deprecating names. Like I'm just a geek around this. I'm a nerd around this, you know, which is a little self-deprecating. And I think, oh, it's just me. And Mm -hmm. you told me that and my jaw dropped because are you kidding me? I love this. I love the plants and the herbs and in your relationship to them. And that, it was such a neat coming together because, oh no, please, I want this. Yeah. And, and that gave you what you needed. And then I remember us walking on the ranch and you pointing, oh, that's a wild radish. Oh, and that's good for this. Oh, and there's, you know, this plant. You're able to just walk around and find food, medicine, um, even poison, everywhere we go. And that is just so interesting and, ex- and inspiring. So I'm going to want you to teach some classes in that because I personally want to expand. And I find often if I have a curiosity and interest, maybe somebody else does too. Isn't that true? Yeah. I've been doing that more with kids lately because I have kids and taking them out. And a lot of times a plant ID is kind of a lost skill. Um, And I was lucky enough to be taught that from just a very young age, same age my kids are. And it just is part of living in nature. And the first thing I do when I go any place to visit is get a plant ID book. Because I always want to see, ooh, what's growing here? And it helps me understand the place that I'm in. So, and then when you're out and about, you can identify things. And now there's apps and stuff for that. But it really helps you understand that we're not just in nature, right? We're in a rich, dynamic environment that has, like you said, medicine, neutral substances, poison. And in Chinese medicine, too, we would say that the right herb taken at the right dose is medicine, but the wrong herb taken at the wrong time or the wrong dose can be poison. So anything can kind of be anything, and it's all based on that balance mm-hmm. and kind of understanding the nuance that exists there. So, Well, you know, also I right now have a little bit of poison oak. I live on a ranch, and I thought, I heard there is a plant that often grows right with poison oak that is maybe mm-hmm. an antidote. And yeah. does that happen a fair amount in nature? Like, oh, you who? I, th- I think so. I think, I mean, that's a really good example. So that's mugwort, uh, okay. which is a type of artemisia. And it's, I was taught as a kid that when on the beginning of a hike, if you were in uh, kind of by the creeks, you'll see it by the creeks. You just pick it and rub it on your skin, and then that would 
make you uh, less vulnerable to poison oak. And so you keep some in your pocket oh. as you're hiking too. Wow. Um, and I think that does happen. Ironically, that's also a Chinese herb uh, that's native to this area. So we have these some species which are exactly the same and some which are botanical analogs or herbs that we can use that are native to our area that have a similar quality or a similar characteristic as the Asian herbs that we use um, with, in medicine. And you can mm -hmm. use these herbs and plants, of course, medicinally as well. And it's just such a beautiful synergistic relationship with plants and nature, the way that the mycelium and the mushrooms connect forests and trees and send messages and the, how much communication there is and how thriving in a natural environment is less about our competition for resources and more about collaboration, finding our own niche and then really living within that niche. And by doing that, we invariably nourish and support the rest of the system. Wow. I love these as metaphors as for life. Um, and it also makes me think about, because this is what I think about with agriculture, is organics or, you know, and you have to then, do you source your plants, your herbs and mushrooms and things specially just so that we're not introducing certain chemicals or is that, how hard is that? And do you do that? I mean, sourcing is one of the most difficult and complex things in, um, in this medicine, especially because the Chinese medical system of herbal medicine is the most complex in the world. And so we rely a lot on these East Asian herbals and bringing them over from China um, because a system of growth of these plants and herbs over here isn't well developed at this time. Mm -hmm. And then the system is less developed for our native plants and things. So there's really exciting work that I look forward to seeing being done about that. Um, I don't source directly from China. I rely on a company that is so committed to the integrity of the medicine and sourcing organics and making sure doing tons and tons of testing spring wind and it's run founded and started by another herbalist as well who's been living and working in this medicine for a really really long time and they test everything and they won't sell it if it retains traces of pesticides or things like mm -hmm. that. They'll have conventional options, organic options. Then they also work with, there's a newer organization called the Lilium Initiative, which is dedicated to the growth of East Asian herbal medicine here in the U.S., which reduces the impact of the transportation issues, the cost issues, the quality issues, and the toxin issue. There's a lot of things that are involved with getting herbs from in, uh, Asia. And the Lilium Initiative, so Spring Wind is the direct uh, distributor for that. And that's a dedicated group of farmers and herbalists who are committed to bringing this medicine to this country and growing it sustainably and organically, but also finding all those, figuring out how to do all these practices like 
there's certain herbs that need to be steamed nine times before mm-hmm. it's really the herb. And if it's only steamed seven times, then it's a different herb. Oh, and, you know, where do we do that? Do we do that farm side? Do you do it in the pharmacy? There's these concerns about powder, like how you're preparing certain herbs. If it's like there's an herb that's used for diarrhea, that if it's it works the best if it's roasted over a low temperature over a long time. And if you don't do that, it won't have that impact on the body. So whoa. There's a that's lot of complexity, but yes. Yeah. So I guess short answer is yes. <laughs> I pay a really a lot of attention to quality. I don't import directly, and I use my partners at Springwind uh, to do that. It sounds like this is a, an opportunity for somebody to move into this area and really, you know, this could be fulfilled. And I feel I always feel like the younger generation. But you yeah. know, we've talked. I have a ranch. Um, we have land. We have our kitchen gardens, but there's some room there. And I, I have an interest in growing. If we could do organic practices and how might I help cultivate and other farmers help cultivate some of these herbs and mushrooms and things that can be used locally yeah. as medicine. Yeah. So it's an exciting time. My friend, Noe, who I... I introduced you to, she also is cultivating from Yes, Yes Nursery in the Valley. She's um, cultivating these medicinal seeds and finding the exact right species of these medicinal plants to kind of help us cultivate them in our area and figure out how do they grow here, what um, what does well in my garden up in the mountains. I have a lot of Chinese herbs, a lot of experiments, things that have worked really well, things that don't do well. And it's a wonderful opportunity for all of us to kind of create more medicine around us, right? And to understand, it gives us so much insight into how something works in the body when we can see like, oh yeah, that herb really wants to be on a super dry hillside, you know, and it retains all of that energy. So maybe it has this really young quality in the body or that really wants to be super wet and soaked all the time. So that's going to influence how our it works with our limp or our water passages in the body. So being around the herbs, growing them is so important, not only for the future of medicine and healing, I believe, in in this country, but also just for our own growth and reconnection to nature, understanding how these plants work and how they work in our bodies and having more appreciation for mm. the, the beauty and all the gifts that just surround us. Yeah, that's so incredible. And I feel that reciprocity, that symbiosis, that holistic, which makes me, my body and my my mind sort of relax and feel like oh okay I'm part of nature like the way you describe it it's like okay there's a connection there's a sense making there is a patterning to all of this and um, I think that's why I'm so drawn to it I agree too and I I think that also we have so much to learn Um, in the west we've thrown away a lot of and we've 
taken advantage of and we've used. And there's a lot of harm that's been done in terms of traditional practices and traditional culture. And it's um, such a shame to, to lose so much of that wisdom and to be disconnected from that. And it's also such a gift to recognize so much of that beauty and that wisdom that exists all around us and that there are people who know about these things. There are people who have studied living in harmony with nature, who have lived that way, who have made that their their every day. Mm-hmm. And that um, to be able to be humble enough to learn and to be curious enough mm-hmm. and to, to appreciate that, I think it's really important. And I really feel that way as a student of traditional Chinese medicine. Like I said, having studied for 20 years or, and being involved with plants my whole life, but at this point, feeling like more of a student than I've ever been, mm. you know, more mm. humbled by the wisdom that exists in nature and also in traditional cultures and traditional um, practices. And I just feel so deeply indebted to the survival of that wisdom and the people who have kept it and held it through the generations and who have um, shared it with me and who continue to share it with others is such a gift. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Well, and I appreciate you sharing it with us. And I just, I have two more questions. One is, how is traditional Chinese medicine being viewed by, let's call it insurance companies? You know, Mm. how is that progressing? Is that diminishing? How is that in terms of Western medicine, traditional Chinese medicine, or East Asian? um, Is it growing? Is it shrinking? How is that? I think in terms of, in terms of my anecdotal experience, there's more interest in Chinese medicine, acupuncture and herbal medicine now than there's ever been in my lifetime. More people are excited about it, more people are interested in it. Like you said, I grew up very much in this nerdy place of no one being really that curious about (laughs) herbs and plants and medicine. I was one of two people really in my acupuncture class who was really passionate about herbal medicine specifically. Um, And now that has really shifted. I've met so many recent grads and current students who are going to school to study herbal medicine, which really wasn't the case when I was doing that very much. Um, I think in terms of insurance, uh, there's a lot of work to be done in that category. Uh, There's a lot of work to be done in terms of raising awareness and helping people understand how cost effective it it is to pursue this type of medicine, uh, to help make it more available to more people through insurance. At the moment, the coverage rates are not very helpful for most people or practitioners so it makes a difficult relationship because you can lose um, time essentially Mm. with patients um, having to go really quickly moving through things but 
Um, so I think that there's a lot of work to do there, but there's been progress. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. And there is coverage for a lot of people um, and more and more. So that's progress. So in conclusion, what are some of the things that, you know, takeaways that we might have um, here in this autumn season? What would you like us to, to carry away with us? Well, I think it's important to really remember to take note of what's happening in nature around you at this time of year and recognize that we're turning toward a season that's asking you to be more inward slightly more restful. So make sure to balance your energy output with rest and to stay warm. Mm -hmm. Protect yourself. And then also use, it's really wonderful to use food to help balance and support the season. So I really recommend eating more warming foods, maybe leaving the summer salads back in the summer and focusing Mm. more on congees, soups, broth, adding those rich spices to kind of help warm and support your body internally to support your digestion, your lungs and help ward off colds and flus and things like that. Mm -hmm. And I also really recommend kind of breathing practices, breath work, and gentle movement practices that engage the breath like Tai Chi or Qigong or yoga practices that can really help is as you breathe into the lungs, you're supporting the inspiration and the expansion of the season. And then as you exhale, you're supporting that letting go, you know, letting those dried leaves of last season fall and ready yourself for this season in this moment and the seasons to come. Mm. So we need a little bit of rest just like nature does. Yeah. And if we do, we'll actually have more available come that next season. Exactly. So we think of fall as a midpoint between the most extreme yang of summer and the most extreme yin of winter. So at winter, we're meant to be all of our chi is kind of sinking back into our roots. And we sort of hold still in that kind of molten core as we prepare for that expansive growth of spring. And so in the fall, we're right in between that expanded blooming phase of summer and that yin phase, rooted yin phase of winter. So it's kind of keeping in mind that you're in this kind of transitional season and you still get to go out and do stuff and have a good time. And you also balance that with rest. You know, you still get to travel and socialize and, you know, stay up late sometimes, but Mm -hmm. then maybe sleep in too. Mm -hmm. And that's the, that's the awareness that, that really helps. I, I find, you know, knowing, listening to your body, listening to the season, listening to nature, well, I learn so much from you every single time, and I just have more and more and more questions for you. But thank you so much for sharing today. Oh, it's been such a pleasure, such an honor. I learned so much from you and our relationship as well, and I'm deeply grateful for it. Mm-hmm. I'm very happy to spend the morning with you.
That's a wrap for today's episode of Regenerative Spaces. If you found this episode valuable or thought-provoking, share it with a friend and be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. We'll keep the conversation going over on Instagram. So join me at Stacy Poliche and share your thoughts, questions, or suggestions for future episodes. And before we go, your support means the world to me. If you have a moment, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts to help us reach even more people looking to spark sustainable change in our world. Stay curious, stay inspired, and until next time, this is Stacy Poliche, and you've been listening to Regenerative Spaces. Mm-hmm.